You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the Anne Juliet Podcast. On today's episode, Anne Juliet's book writer David West Reed joins Tony Award and Pulitzer Prize winner James Lapine to discuss their approach to writing for musical theater. It's interesting uh, the way musicals, particularly book musicals, particularly jukebox musicals, come to be. So I'm who was the driving force here, David? Were you was this your idea? And are you the one that drove Anne Juliet into being? Well, the idea of doing a musical came from Max Martin's wife, who thought it would be an interesting challenge for him at this stage in his career to turn his incredible catalog of music into a stage musical, but they didn't have any ideas that they were stuck with. So it was kind of an open canvas for me to propose something. And I I pitched this idea of what if it was set in the world of Romeo and Juliet, if Juliet didn't die at the end, and if it was a new story with a new way of exploring his music. Forgive me for asking this question. Have you written many books for musicals? I have never written a book for a musical before this one. Were you a fan of musicals before? I was. I love musicals. And, um, you know, I, uh, I came to New York as a student and hadn't seen anything. I, had, I grew up in Canada. I had seen one musical, Piney the Talking Christmas Tree, with my parents. <laughs> Little shout out to Piney the Talking Christmas Tree. But I, uh, at NYU, they gave us all these free uh, tickets to go see shows. And I saw hundreds and, of musicals and plays and immersed myself and um, fell in love with uh, theater. And um, I grew up with, you know, musical theater soundtracks in my house, but I was I was really new to all of it. I think the show has a feeling of somebody who's kind of new to the form. And I mean that as a compliment, you know, it's it's um, original in other ways that musicals that are based around existing scores, particularly pop scores, have a kind of formula to them. And uh, so, you know, that's what I think is so unique or wonderful about the show. Um, did you write the book first and then choose the music? Did you, did you winnow down your collaborators, um, you know, great length of, of incredible songs to decide what you wanted in it before you wrote the book? How'd you approach it? Well, I really tried to let the music drive the story and listen to all of the songs. And then, um, you know, the great thing about 
a jukebox musical is you're not hurting anyone's feelings if you throw out a song and swap in a different one. And uh, so they're at every stage of the workshop process and in all of our out of town tryouts, we, we kept trying different songs to see which would fit best in the end. Tell me a little bit about the process of how once you got together and started writing this uh, with your co collaborator, who I assume weighed in on some of the music you were choosing, when did the director come in? When did the producer come in? How did you, how did you, this was new to you. So how did you end up doing a hit Broadway show or a hit world show, I should say, in London and all around the world? Did you find the director of your choice or how did that work? Yeah, I had never worked with this director and, you know, he, he was British. I'm Canadian or uh, composed or our, uh, orchestrator is American. Max is Swedish. It was kind of an international collaboration. Um, but I think what you're saying about working outside of the comfort zone is interesting because we were all somewhat outside of our comfort zone, whether it was our director, Luke Shepard, who knew musical theater but didn't know pop music, or, you know, I had written stage plays and TV, but I'd never written a musical. But I think there's a pressure that comes with that, um, especially when someone like Max Martin is giving you his life's work. And he said from the beginning, you know, if this wasn't something that he was excited about or proud of, or if it didn't feel like it was working, he, he might pull the plug at any moment. And so that also put a lot of pressure. And I just felt this responsibility to try to get it right. Um, that I feel like is special to making your first of a thing and making your first musical and feeling like you, you want to land it. And then, you know, because there was no composer sitting in the room, it felt like my relationship with the director was even more important. And, you know, he was kind of the editor to the story, but also shaping the whole visual world, um, which is not something I thought about as much. Wonderful. It's beautifully directed. Uh, and exciting. It, it's very exciting theatrical experience. I think we tried to, in some ways, treat it as if it was, you know, had just been written by a composer and uh, the director, Luke Shepard, would have the actors read through the lyrics, you know, without singing them. And it feels like, I know that's something you've talked about doing on your shows, but in a jukebox musical, it almost feels even more important because people have these existing ideas of these songs that they've heard on the radio and you almost stop listening to the lyrics. And so I think, you know, that process of just reading the lyrics and trying to find the meaning in them, just as, you know, you do with the dialogue, um, helped kind of break away from the traps of jukebox musicals. If I could turn it around for a second, uh, since I have you here and I may never get to speak with you again. I mean, it seems to me that you, not at all comparing, but that you came from a slightly outsider perspective to theater and musicals when you started out. And I know you had obviously a visual art background and photography. And um, But I was curious, do you feel that there's something to starting as an outsider and uh, collaborating with people who are more of the world and how that worked with you at, at the early stages of your career. I think there's a benefit to being the outsider of anything you do in a way, because I'm kind of like you. I hadn't gone to very many musicals. I had never seen a musical, uh, you know, other than like what the movie, a West side story by Sondheim. I think Sweeney Todd was the first one I ever saw. And I, I think I saw it three times. So 
uh, I mean, when you come from a different perspective, from a different angle, I think it lends itself to some form of invention that maybe is new to the form. Um, I find that now that I'm older and working, I have too much knowledge about everything <laughs> and, and in ways I'm critical of it. Whereas when I was lucky enough to start out, I wasn't even sure I wanted to work in the theater. So for me, it was just a lark. And I did have a lot writing on it. You know, it was a Bill Finn writing a few songs and humming a few tunes. That's how he'd come in with just music with no lyrics. And I had to kind of build the story uh, around what he was doing. Well, I'd love to ask another question because, um, you know, uh, and Juliet just opened on Broadway, and I hope that it will have a long life. But I'm curious about what happens when you have musicals like yours that have been running for years and years and have had productions all over the world, and you go back and revisit them. What is it like to watch one of your shows with distance and time? And do you ever feel that impulse to get back in there and change something? Well, I used to have that impulse, and I did do it. And now, uh, I've learned to just leave things alone. I mean, um, Steve Sondheim always, while we were working on shows, he'd get to a point and say, we're deproving it instead of improving it, that we were, you know, wrestling with things that weren't perfect or we didn't like. And then we realized the changes we were making were not better. In fact, many times they were worse. I also discovered being a writer director, being also such a naive one. And if you leave things alone, actors can fix it for you. <laughs> Erica, we did that in Into the Woods, and we had a a song, Boom Crunch, and Bernadette was her 11 o'clock number, and, you know, had to rewrite it because who didn't like it. And it took Steve, you know, a couple of weeks to write a new song, The Last Midnight. And by the time he had finished, Bernadette was bringing down the house with Boom Crunch, and then she got a song in my estimation that was no better, and she had to start all over again <laughs> last midnight, which at the end of the day, she also, you know, brought home. You you do a lot of different things. Do you have a preference, or did you find doing the musical inspiring in a way? Yeah, I mean, the biggest difference between TV and theater is you get to sit with people when they watch it. <laughs> you know, when the, when the show goes on TV, you're not in the living room with your audience and you don't have a chance to change anything. So, you know, I loved, we did this show in Manchester and then London, Toronto, now New York, and every step of the way we've made changes. And I, uh, but it's also, you know, every night it's so different. I thought I wanted to be a film director is sort of how I ended up you know, because I was a photographer and it was always my dream to make a movie. And uh, when I made my first movie, I realized I liked theater better for that very reason. You know, you've got a piece. This was in the old days of, you know, film and um, getting one shot at a scene and then having to figure out, you know, unable to change it once you had it. And I love the fluidity of the theater and the fluidity that exists between actors, you know, uh, who can bring things to it or can you can just change things till you know till you have to freeze it essentially but i find though i've made a few more films uh, i do like the theater better because it's more improvisatory judy was boring hello then judy discovered chumbacasino.com it's my little escape now judy's the life of the party oh baby mama's bringing home the bacon whoa take it easy judy 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And when you, you know, talking about freezing that point where you can't make changes anymore, do you think about um, when you're writing, do you think about the longevity of the piece do you think about the the fact that you hope it might run for years and i guess with a musical it's maybe more likely to be something that hopefully runs for a long time or do you just write in the moment and think about the present moment i never think of that ever <laughs> i'm assuming everything i do will probably be a failure so <laughs> that way anything that good comes along is a lovely surprise um so no i don't think of longevity or um I'm always amazed. I'm still at this ripe old age shocked that people are sitting in a theater watching something of mine. You know, I know that <laughs> sounds ridiculous, but I look around, there's a thousand people and I don't know any of them and they're, they're watching. And it just, to me, is such a kind of miraculous thing. Again, you do a movie or a TV show, you're not sitting with your audience, you know? Right, right. I mean, that's what I find amazing too, that they're they're also not experiencing it as something that you wrote years ago. They're experiencing it as if it's happening live in front of them for the first time. Right. And yeah. also when you're creating the theater, I mean, the writers are, are the boss, you know, uh, film and television, you've got producers and studios and all of that. It's very strange. That's a strange part of the process for me, going from being the only person working on the thing to being the only person who's not there. You know, it started alone in a dark room and now I kind of see images and videos of people performing this in Australia or, you know, or New York and I'm not there. And and it feels like I'm no longer even part of it. It's, it's, it's got its own life. Yeah, but what a thrill, right? There's no bigger thrill than knowing that something you made is being done somewhere by someone and you don't have to be there for the first, you know, but. But your voice is there. And, uh, you know, people watch a movie, they watch it once. You know, they they watch TV series, maybe they watch it once or twice, and they're on to something else. But theater is something that can continually be reinvented by people. And uh, it's thrilling to know that you've written something that 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, somebody in some high school in Iowa might be doing, you know. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you a question about um, Sunday in the Park with George? Because, um, and again, I'm not comparing, but Anne Juliet is in some ways a show about making art and balancing the process of making art with your personal life. And obviously Sunday in the Park with George is a masterpiece in that regard. And I wondered, you know, how do you, what do you think the key is to making a show about making art that is still accessible and relatable and, and compelling to an audience of, you know, mostly non-artists? 
Well, there's a mystery. There's a mystery, I think, of it to people who don't do what we do. And I get that so often. Like, where do you come up with your ideas? You know, <laughs> like, uh, well, I, you know, I don't sit around going, okay, I can have some ideas today. You know, it's just how people's brains are wired. And I, I am a money dummy. You know, I can't even balance a checkbook. So, you know, I'm, I'm actually intrigued by people who have that gift. And, um, I don't know. I, th I don't really think about it a lot. I have to tell you, um, I, I count on my unconscious away and a lot, a lot of ways to come up with ideas and things. And also you're a different writer at different stages in your life. You know, mm -hmm. we'll always be the writer of Van Juliet, which a huge success. And you're going to be compared to that and expected to do that again and again or not. And, um, I just think the best thing for any creative person is to work outside their comfort zone. You know, right. don't do what you can do and know you can do. Do something that offers a real challenge and choose material that is unusual and fascinates you for some reason and hope that it will fascinate others. Okay, so let's get down. What was the darkest moment of Vicky <laughs> and Julia? Let's just sign. What was the hardest? When was the one moment you just thought you wanted to throw yourself in front of a train or did you never have that i have that at least three times a show so i think you know in manchester i probably had the most of those what what have i done moments because we started in an 1800 seat theater the opera house and no one knew anything about the show and you know the, max's name is not really well known as uh, because he takes such a backseat to the artist he writes for so there are many nights in manchester where we had 300 people in an 1800 seat theater and even though it felt like we were creating something good i i didn't think the product was bad i thought but maybe we just just will never lift off well, or you might not have an audience for it 300 people in an 1800 seats. That's rough. Yeah. I was relying on, there was no brand, you know, there's no franchise or uh, movie adaptation or whatever. It was the, the brand was Shakespeare, which is uh, potentially alienating. They've taken a story everybody knows and or mm -hmm. people know, which is, and, and turned it on its ear, which I think was what makes it great. That's the surprise of it. When did the producing team come on? Well, they were on from the beginning. Yeah, how did you get a producer? I mean, or how did that work? It was your idea, right, the whole show? Well, the producers um, had had worked with Max before in the music industry, and then and they wanted to make this stage musical, and so they found me. They had been looking for a writer for a while, and I came in and I pitched the whole concept to them and and they uh embraced it well it's it, it's really exciting when is the last time you've seen the show opening <laughs> i mean at this point i've seen it hundreds of times in all of its iterations and i i you know i needed to get a little distance from it but um i read the reports i know it's happening and i and i i i can't wait to go back well the thrill of it for you is it's never going to go away. It's going to always be playing somewhere, which mm -hmm. is the height of success in the theater to know that your work is speaking to people and it will do so for the rest of your life. So, and you're a young man. So that's like, congratulations, man. <laughs> Here I am speaking to you, which is a tremendous honor. So I, I really appreciate you taking the time. 
Thank you for listening to the Anne Juliet podcast. Be sure to listen to our next episode when Max Martin talks to Sarah Bareilles about the intersection of pop and musical theater. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Gapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.